Welcome everyone to Kingdom Rock Radio. We pray that you will enjoy today's message. Now here's a sample of what you'll be hearing today. In the time of lack, don't devour your children. You say, I'll never do that. What do they do? They devour their children with their mouths. They put their mouth on their children. In the time of lack, in the time of desperation, don't you know you can talk your children crazy? You can put your mouth on them by giving them harsh words, terrible words, devouring words, devouring their self-esteem, devouring their self-worth, devouring them to make you feel better. You're under a lot of pressure, so you're going to release your pressure on your child. Kingdom Rock Radio is an outreach ministry of Kingdom Rock Family Worship Center located right here in Bremen, Georgia. You can connect with us at our website at www.kingdomrock.org. And now, here is today's message. Uh, We're going to go into part two of the message entitled, Tell Hell No. Well, there you have it to you. There you have it. Let's go back to the book of um, 2 Kings, 2 Kings, the sixth chapter, 2 Kings, the sixth chapter. We were last in 2 Kings, the fourth chapter. The Lord brings us right back here. There's some more stuff that he wants us to see. 2 Kings, the sixth chapter, verses 24 through uh, 30. We're going to just do a little bit of reading. We'll talk a little bit and we'll go on further. Now, uh, before, uh, let me tell you what's happened since 2 Kings, the fourth chapter. Remember, 2 Kings, the fourth chapter, um, the Lord uh, gives the Shunammite woman a son. Remember that? And he dies, and the Lord brings him back to life. And you'll also find between the fourth chapter and the sixth chapter uh, that uh, Elisha uh, made some uh, poisonous stew edible. And he also fed uh, 100 men with uh, 20 loaves. There's that divine multiplication of food that the Lord Jesus did there in the New Testament. But uh, in this case, Elijah fed 100. He also cured uh, Naaman of his leprosy. And that that leprosy was transferred to Gehazi. Remember in chapter 4, Gehazi was the one who ran with Elisha's staff and put it on the young man. Well, Gehazi was corrupt. Eventually, we saw that as he showed his true colors. I see your true colors shining through. Sorry. We saw Gehazi's true colors because he was a greedy man and uh, he was a thief and a liar. Naaman's leprosy cleaved or was put upon uh, Gehazi and he wore that leprosy. We also saw and uh, that uh, Elisha made an axe head float and he blinded the Syrian army. I mean, he whooped him. God whooped him real good. And that's how we're really going to um, take off there. Uh, the king of um, Aram, or King James says Syria, came to make war against the king of Israel, against the people of God. And he had heard that Elisha was telling all of his battle plans. Remember? And the king said, well, where is this man? And he sends an army to encamp the city of Dothan. They find out he's there, and so there's an army, uh, the enemy army, all around that city. And Elisha and his servant, his new servant, got up that morning, and the servant went out and saw the, the enemy armies all around the city. And the servant got so upset, Master, Master, what we going to do? What we going to do? 
Elisha said, don't worry about it. There are more with us than there are against us. Lord, would you please open his eyes so he can see? And the servant saw chariots of fire all around them. It was an awesome sight. Elisha told the, uh, asked the Lord, uh, Lord, would you please blind those soldiers? The Lord blinded those soldiers. Then Elisha goes down and does something really funny in my book. He goes down to the captain of the guard there, to the soldiers, and tells them, hey, who y'all looking for? Uh-huh. Well, he's not here. Uh, I'll show you where he is. And so they all follow him. I'm not sure if this is a physical blindness or, or if they're really just in confusion and don't know what's going on. They're in a haze. And so they follow him, this whole army, follow Elisha, and they go all the way uh, to, uh, to the king's house, or rather to the people of God, uh, to Samaria. Yeah, they went to Samaria. And so in Samaria, there was God's troops in his army was right there. So he led them into an ambush. And so when they got into Samaria and they were surrounded, God's army surrounded this enemy army. Then Elijah said, Lord, would you open the, this army's eyes? And when, they, when the Lord opened up the army's eyes, they saw that they were in enemy territory. And uh, that was the end of that. He squashed that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, Lord willing. But then simply he just sent them all back home later with their tails between their legs, so to speak. And so the Bible says he didn't, that that army didn't come back anymore. The Lord whipped them real good. But after a time, that devil comes back. Remember that when the Lord Jesus was on the mountain of temptation, and at the end of that temptation period, the Bible says that the devil left the Lord for a season. He tends to come back. And so we're picking up here in 2 Kings, the 6th chapter, verse 24, of how the enemy comes back. And what we will see today, Lord willing, is how the Lord will prepare you to move in desperate times. He will prepare you to move in seasons of lack. He will prepare you to walk through fire. He will prepare you to be a storm walker walking on the midst of the water in a, in a storm. He will prepare you to do the impossible. But there are certain keys that he wants to release you that will enable you to do, to do and be more than average. Are you hearing you're actually a supernatural being. If you are born again believer, let's go here just for a moment. I'm excited about it. You're actually a supernatural being, a new species of being. When you were born of God and the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of you, you have a new created spirit. All things have been passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You now possess or hold inside of you the Holy Spirit of God. You are the temple of the Spirit of God. You are triumphant and you are actually royalty. Remember the Lord made you kings and priests. You are royalty and you're meant not to be under circumstances, but to be well above circumstances. Hallelujah. So it's time for us to rise above all of this stuff and be victorious. Glory to the Lamb of God. Now let's look at verse 24 again. It says, sometime later. Yeah, Lord, I received that from you. Thank you so much. It says, sometime later. Now this, again, is 2 Kings, the 6th chapter, verse 24, out of the New Living Translation. 
It says, sometime later, however, King Ben-Hadad of Aram. Now, Aram uh, is the, uh, it's also known as Syria. It's also known as Syria. Uh, he mustered his entire army and besieged Samaria. Now, you know this, but for those who do not know, besieged means, once again, it means to surround. He's doing the same tactics as he did before. This time, instead of coming in after he surrounds you, he's going to stay outside and prevent stuff from getting to you. So this is when the devil cuts stuff off in your life. You go through life and you wonder why I can't get any friends or why I can't get the promotion, why I can't get the job. I'm doing all the stuff I, I'm supposed to do. I'm going to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm giving my tithes, giving my offerings. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But it seems like nothing new is able to come into my life. Nothing new is coming into my life. The enemy has stopped up the flow from getting to you. In this city, when he besieges a city, he stands at the gates of the city, at the well on the outskirts of the city or the of the roads, and he does not let things come into you. So this was a city, and often they would have food brought in, just like we do now, the supply lines of tractor trailers and stuff like that. He would stop, the enemy would stop, he would prevent anything from coming in, and nothing would go out. Nothing new would get to you and nothing old would go out. Now, that's bad in any way. And so the Bible says that the enemy set up a, he besieged Samaria. He besieged it. In verse 25, it says, uh, uh, as a result, there was a great famine in the city. This siege lasted so long that a donkey's head sold for uh, 80 uh, 80 pieces of silver and a cup of dove's dung sold for five pieces of silver. So they were eating heads of donkeys. Couldn't get anything to eat. And dove's dung was not bird poop. No, it was a plant. It was a plant. It really was. It was a plant. And this plant tasted sweet like chestnut. So it says a cup of it sold for five pieces of silver. Donkey's head. So they're they're desperate here. And they've been cut off for quite a while. Verse 26 says, one day as the king of Israel was walking along the wall of the city, a woman called to him, please help me, my lord, the king. I'm going to dramatize it for you. Verse 27, he answered, if the Lord doesn't help you, what can I do? I have neither food uh, from the threshing floor nor wine from the press to give you. But then the king asked, what is the matter? She replied, this woman said to me, come on, let's eat your son today. Then we will eat my son tomorrow. So we cooked my son and ate him. Then the next day I said to her, kill your son so we can eat him. But she has hidden her son. Oh, my goodness. The famine was so severe that the women began to resort to cannibalism. Notice how the conversation started. A woman comes to this woman and said, hey, 
Let's eat your son today. We'll eat mine tomorrow. Let's eat yours today. Wow. And then she agrees. They had a full belly or at least some food that night. But then the very next morning, when it came time to eat again, the second woman who agreed to kill her son said, I can't do this. She hid her son. And then somehow they both went to the king. Come here. You come with me. We're going to talk to the king about this. These two women go before the king. Can you imagine them opening their mouth and saying, we ate my son, king. We were so hungry, we ate him. Now, don't allow in the time of, in the time of famine, in the time of lack, don't devour your children. You say, I'll never do that. What do they do? They devoured their children with their mouths. They put their mouth on their children. In the time of lack, in the time of desperation, don't you know you can talk your children crazy? You can put your mouth on them by giving them harsh words, terrible words, devouring words, devouring their self-esteem, devouring their self-worth, devouring them to make you feel better. You're under a lot of pressure, so you're going to release your pressure on your child. And even in today's culture, we may not, again, I pray we, we do, we never uh, sacrifice our children by putting, by killing them and eating them. But many mothers will actually put their children on the corner to make some money for them. Sell the drugs, sell the alcohol, make mama some money, son. Selling their children, having their daughters to turn tricks to bring money into the house. Because we need money. Times are hard. Baby, you got to get out of here and go make mama some money. So a knife was not put into them. And they were not roasted in a skillet. But their lives, their youth was stolen from them. Was taken from them. And so these two women came to the king and said, you got to do something about this. Look at verse 30. When the king heard this. He tore his clothes in despair. And as the king walked along the wall, the people could see that he was wearing burlap, also called sackcloth. He was wearing burlap under his robe next to his skin. Now, burlap or, or sackcloth was used to debase yourself or to express repentance or mourning. Burlap was normally made of black goat's hair, and it was very coarse, and it was extremely uncomfortable to wear, express, especially against the skin. So under the king's robe, he was in mourning. He was repentant before God. God, help us. God, help us. God, help us. God, help us. The siege was so bad. But why did the Lord allow this siege to last so long among his people? You got to ask that question. This is not the world we're talking about. We're talking about the people of God. We're talking about the people who have seen miracles, signs, and wonders, and they sure enough got a prophet there. 
Elisha is here in town. He's there. But why did the siege take so long? Why did it last so long? And we need to ask that question, too. If we've been going through something for so long, and especially in, in 2022, there have been some things like some tough stains. You stain your clothes and that stain just won't come out. Why is this taking so long for me to get out of this situation? Why is nothing new coming in? Why is nothing old going out? What is happening? Because this should never have actually happened. But it was, understand something, it was not the, the, the wearing of the burlap or the, or the sackcloth that changed God's mind, but it was his, the king's genuine repentance that would have done this. He's repentant before the Lord. And look at what David said here in Psalm 30, verse 11. Psalm 30, verse 11. It says this, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. You got to come to a point when you realize something is wrong. See, the, the one thing the devil wants to do, he wants to put your eyes out. He wants you to play the blame game. Blame the problem on everybody else. Blame the problem on the government, on the man. Blame the problem on your mama, your daddy, your sister, your brother, your cousin, your toe. You want to blame the problem everywhere else. But as long as you play the blame game, your city is going to still be under siege. You're not going to break free. Look at the king. He begins now to play the blame game. Let's go back now. Uh, to 2 Kings, the sixth chapter, verse 31. This is how he responded. He says, may God strike me and even kill me if I don't separate Elisha's head from his shoulders this very day. The king vowed, it's Elisha's fault. It's the man of God's fault that I'm in this shape. Nope, king, it's actually not. It's his fault. I'm going to kill him. Notice his reaction after these women come to him and give him that horrible news. You've been killing, eating your babies? His first thought, I'm going to kill the man of God. It's his fault. Are you with me? And so verse 32, it says, Elisha was sitting in the house with the elders of Israel when the king sent a messenger to summon him. Now, look, Elisha is sitting in the house with the elders. They're waiting. They're waiting. This is a heavenly conversation. The forces of God are waiting on you. He says here, Elisha was sitting in the house with the elders, uh, elders of Israel when the king sent a messenger to summon him. But before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, a murderer has sent a man to cut off my head. Then he says, when he arrives, shut the door and keep him out. We will soon hear his master's foot, his master's steps following him. 
While Elijah, verse 33, while Elijah was, was still saying this, the messenger arrived. And the king said, the king came right after him. The king said, um, all this misery is from the Lord. Now he's blaming God. First, Elisha, is you. I'm going to kill you. Now it's, it's you, God. You're doing this to me. He says, all this misery is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? It's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. But again, why did it last so long? There are two reasons it lasted so long. Please hear this. The first reason it lasts so long, it was to reveal the heart of the king. There are some hidden things that were there in the king's heart. And so goes the king, so goes the kingdom. What's in you will affect your household. What's in you will affect your children. What's in you will affect your co-workers. What's in you? So the Lord says, before I let this go unattended to in the kingdom, I've got to deal with you, king. And it lasted so long because the king had to get to a point where he saw the ugliness on the inside of him. At heart, he was a murderer. And he did not trust God. I don't trust you, God. Now, this is God's people. They're worshiping. They know how to worship in Israel. They know how to worship. There's a temple right there. They know how to bring sacrifices. They know how to honor God. This was God's people, God's chosen people. They know how to serve him. They know about the Sabbath. They know about all of this. The Day of Atonement, they know about all of it. They know how to worship. But there was still something deep and dark inside of them. And the only way to get some things out is to allow the enemy to stop some things up. But this was never meant to go this long. It was never meant to go this long. But it took this long for the king to repent. So how long? So why did it take so long? Because again, uh, inside the king's heart was hatred for his enemies. When he saw Elijah as an enemy, he hated him. He wanted to murder him and distrust toward God. So while he's walking around in, in sackcloth or in burlap, while he's walking along saying, Lord, I'm sorry, I repent, I repent. There was hatred in him. There was murder in him. And he brought that before the Lord. Look at this. Let me show you this. Remember we talked about that enemy army that Elisha brought into the camp of Samaria? And uh, the Lord blinded them. Then he said, open their eyes, let them see. And so here's the army now in Samaria. They're surrounded. And what does the king say to this army? Look at this in verse number 20. 2 Kings, the 20, 2 Kings the 6th chapter, verse 20. It says, as soon as they uh, had entered um, Samaria, Elisha prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they discovered that they were in the middle of Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, what? My father, should I kill them? I should, should I kill them? He said it twice, right? Should I kill them? Should I kill them? Was the man of God answer? He said, of course not. Elijah replied, do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink and send them home again to their master. 
as murder in his heart. Remember the man, he just, the king just said, uh, today, I'm, uh, God kill me or something if I don't kill Elijah today. There was murder in his heart. But notice, after he got, we're about to go to chapter, uh, chapter 7 now. You're rolling. You're doing a good job here. You'll notice that after he got to uh, the place where Elisha was, that things at that moment were about to change. It was about to flip. Let's look at it here. 2 Kings, the 7th chapter. Y'all stay with me today? 2 Kings, the 7th chapter, verse number 1 says, Elijah replied. He said, listen to this message from the Lord. He was holding a word from God if you just come and get it. He said, listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of uh, Samaria, six quarts of choice flour will will cost only one piece of silver and 12 quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. Now, remember, a donkey's head costs you 80 and some little plants, the dove dung, cost you what? What was that? Five. But you're getting some fine flour, some good food. He said, this time tomorrow, less than 24 hours to, from now, God is going to do, he's going to heal our national economy. Yeah. Think about it for a moment. You say food prices at the grocery store are really high. Man, it's high. It's high. You go get a combo at a fast food place, just one combo. You talk, maybe talking about $11, $12. Food is high. Gas is high. And so he says that by this time tomorrow, food prices are going to drop and it's going to be good food. Not only that, but the people are going to have enough money to pay for it. So the economy is going to shift in one day. One day we're going to have good food to eat. Excellent food. And you're going to have money in your pocket. Let's look at this. And then he says here, the, verse number two, the officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. But Elisha replied, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. The poison in the king's heart transferred to his assistant. The distrust, I don't trust God. I don't trust the word of God. The prophet was speaking for God. This is what God says. I don't trust God's word. Even if God will open up the winds of heaven, this can't happen. This is crazy. Oh, you'll see it all right, but you won't eat any of it. Are you with me? Now, the second reason the siege lasted so long, and we're about to close out shortly, so hold yourself. Can you hold yourself? The second reason the siege lasted so long is because God was looking for somebody. He was preparing somebody that would have the courage to tell hell no. Somebody's got to break this. After the king repented, after his heart was known, after he came and said, look, look, he may have come to say, I'm going to kill you. But when he got there, there was a word for him. When he decided, I'm going back to church, there was a word for him right there at the church. The man of God had a word. God had a word. We've just been sitting here waiting on you. 
You could have been done with this a long time ago. Are you hearing? But the second reason, again, that the siege lasted for such a long time, because God was waiting on a people. He was raising up people. There were four leprous men who he was raising up to have the courage, the courage to stand up against fear and to move forward because God had already made a way. Let's look at this. In verse number three, it says, Now uh, there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. Now, that's a powerful question. Why? You see, things will begin to change when you begin to ask yourself, why? Why am I going through this? Why? You've you've told the same person the same thing a thousand times. You're still expecting a different answer. Why are you putting yourself through this? You got to ask yourself, why am I putting myself through this? You know what's happening. You know what they're going to say. You know what's going to happen on the job. You know what's going to happen with the coworker. You know what's going to happen. You know how they frustrate you to high heaven, but yet and still you put yourself in that same place anyway. Why? Why do you keep expecting people to change? You pray for them, but after a while, you got to begin to adjust your own self. If you know they're going to slap you on the back of the head every time you come in the room, sooner or later you're going to have to duck or enter the room another way. Wear a helmet or something. Why keep putting yourself in the same old spot? They said, why are we sitting here? Why do we sit here and die? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? I put up with that in 22. Why am I still putting up with that? Why? Why should we sit here waiting to die? They ask each other. Verse 4, we will starve if we stay here. But with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Armenian army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, We would have died already. We have died anyway. What do I have to lose? What do you have to lose? Why not start the new business? Why not start the new ministry? You can be broke uh, another time. The brokenness will still be there. Why not move forward with it? Why not go back to school? Why not do it? That's the enemy that you're facing. Why not do it? You say, but, uh, but what if they hate me? So, they're going to hate you anyway whether you go or not. What are they going to talk about me? They're going to talk about you anyway, anyway. What if they laugh? They're going to laugh about you anyway, anyway. What if I run out of money? You don't have no money now. So, what's the big deal? Why sit here and die? See, folk are dying all around me. I don't understand all of this. I want to live. Not only live, but thrive. And that's what you're going to have to ask yourself. Why am I putting up with this? Why? I want to live. I want to do what God called me to do. 
I refuse to live in fear another day. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? And Jesus told us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us because you are members of the church. You are the church. So the gates of hell won't prevail against you, but you've got to decide to move. The answer is already ready for you, but you've got to go out. Let's look at this in verse number five. It says, again, this is uh, back in 2 Kings verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 5. It says, so at twilight they set, they set out for the camp of the Armenians. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. Everything that they thought was going to be there. They're going to talk about me. I'm never going to get the job. They're not going to like me. Everything, every worry they had wasn't there. It didn't even happen. How often have we worried about something, worried about something, worried ourselves sick over something, and it didn't even happen? It didn't happen because God had already gone before you. The Lord is just waiting for somebody with enough courage just to get up and see, I've already done it. God had already done the work. But sitting there, you're never going to see it. He'd already spoken your name, given your name favor to the creditor, favor with the banker, favor with the accountant, favor with the supervisor. Already done it. Already been talking about you. But are we going to get up from where we are and go? Are you hearing? Verse number six. The Lord, the Lord, it says, why, why did it happen? For the Lord had caused the Armenian army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and uh, the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us. They cried to one another, so they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. God had already been there. Already been there, done that. But isn't it sad? That we can still sit in a poverty condition, thinking things are bad, when actually they've never been better. <laughs> I'm going to have to run over here a little bit and run back over here a little bit. You keep hearing what's on the news, keep hearing about what folk, what folk are talking about in the city. You keep hearing this when God had already been there, already, already settled the whole matter, but we're too scared to get out. Watch out for that spirit of doom and gloom. Let's read on a little bit, then we're going to close out. It says, when, uh, when the men with leprosy arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent, um, one tent after another, eating and, and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and hid it. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we, if we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, 
Let's go back and tell the people at the palace. After they got their wealth, I got my gold. I'm going to hide it right here. Got my silver, got my Gucci, my Fendi or whatever, boo-boo or whatever. They got all that. They put it away. Hey, let's go back and tell somebody else. Let's look on. Verse 10. So they... Uh, so they went back to the city and told the gatekeepers what had happened. We went out to the Armenian camp, they said, and no one was there. The horses and donkeys were tethered and the tents were all in order. But there, but there wasn't a single person around. Then the gatekeepers shouted the news uh, to the people in the palace. Look at verse 12. Look at the king's reaction here. How is he going to react? Verse 12 says, the king got out of bed in the middle of the night and told his officers, I know what has happened. The Armenians know we are starving. So they have left their camp and have hidden in the fields. They are expecting us to leave the city and then they will take us alive and capture the city. You see, when you sit in that mess so long, you begin to think that everybody's against you. That doom and gloom spirit. It's, things are going good. It's too good. Something's going to happen. This job is good, but there's something wrong. Something's going to happen. No, this is not it. I'm going to sit right here in my hole and wait till things get better. I'm going to sit in my poverty. I'm going to sit in my guilt. I'm going to sit in my shame. I'm going to sit over here. I hear what you're saying that things are better, preacher. I hear what you're saying. Yes, yes, yes. But I'm just going to sit over here and watch. I'm not going to face my fear and go out there. See, these lepers, men were messengers affirming or confirming God has done this. God has set for you a table and it is running over with good things. But you got to get up from where you are. You got to face your demons once again. You got to face the fear once again. You got to face the tormentor once again. You're not an animal. Don't let the devil cage you. You're not an animal. You're not going to bind me about the neck and tell me where I can't go and tell me what I can't do. I will arise from here royalty there's more to you than meets the eye king said I, oh, I don't believe that I know what's happening the devil's waiting for to ambush me but all that was already gone what happens when we sit in our mess for so long that we cannot believe when God has done a good thing you can't believe when God has an official word for you to tell you that your best days are actually ahead of you and the problems that you faced last year, you're not going to see that enemy anymore. Yes. Now get up. The king finally sends out the scouts. And they report back to the king. It's correct, king. There's nobody there. And then the king assigned an officer to the gate. And they told the people, hey, there's food out here. Well, the officer, which was the king's assistant, he stood at the gates. All right, everybody, come this way. We're going to do an old fashioned. Those people stampeded him. <laughs> I want the hamburger. I want it. They were hungry. So that man did indeed see 
the provision of God, but he surely did not eat it. God was faithful to his word. All of this was done, but the Lord was waiting on the people. Now, there are two characters, we can say, two roles in this, in this play, we can call it that, two roles. Are you one of the kings that need to repent because your kingdom has been besieged? You need to get before God and say, God, help me, and begin to confess what's in you? Or are you a, a scared, part of the scared lepers that God has to raise up to get you to move from where you are? To confront your fears. So are you in the place of repentance? God help me. Or are you in the place where God's telling you to confront your fears once again? And I'll say what the, they say one to another. Why sit here and die? Why keep doing the same thing and seeing the same results? Having the same arguments. Why keep having the same thing? Got to get up. Do what is required. So either we're, we're, maybe we're both. Got to repent and be honest. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. And then develop the courage to move forward. Father, we pray in Jesus' name for everyone that is here right now, for everyone that is listening and watching from all around the world. Lord, we do pray that we would repent and just admit what's in us. And Lord, we thank you that as we confess our sins before you, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we make confession, Lord, that we have hated. We make confession that we have walked in unforgiveness. We have walked in bitterness. Lord, we have played the blame game. And, and certain parts of us, Lord, really don't trust you as we ought to. We confess that before you. We thank you, Lord, that you're big enough to take that truth. But not only that, Lord, you're big enough also to heal us, to take this away from us. And Lord, we ask that you would create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit on the inside of us. And we ask, Lord, for the courage to go again. The courage to ask again, the, the courage to apply again, the courage to start up the new business, to start up the new ministry, courage to do something new, courage to face the challenges of this life because you already have gone before us. Give us the courage to go out and see and go into one tent and another tent and another tent and another tent. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We know all this is possible through him. So, Lord, we call out to you. We call on the name of Jesus, and we ask for mercy and grace, and we receive you as our Lord and Savior. Lead us through this time, Lord. Show us what you've done. Give us wisdom. Give us grace, we pray today. In Jesus' name. Oh, yes. Give us the why, the answer to the why questions. Give us the answer to the why questions so that we may move forward. We love you, Father, and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, we pray that you were blessed and encouraged by today's message. Don't forget, you can connect with us at our website at kingdomrock.org. It's there that you can hear today's message as well as the entire series. So check it out today. Until next time, remember that Jesus loves you and so do we. Choose him as your Lord today. Only he can make a way. We'll see you on the next time.